Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Connor. Welcome to this week's episode of Intelligence Squared Business. Today, we're joined by Ron Biscardi, the CEO of iConnections, an industry-leading platform and community that connects investment managers and allocators. In this episode, he speaks to Linda Yu about the importance of relationships and connections in our working lives, as well as his career and journey into the alternative investment space and why he started the company. If you do enjoy this episode and you are in the investment industry, you might want to check out iConnection's upcoming Capital Introductions fundraiser, Funds for Minds. Throughout May, they will have a series of private capital intro meetings and fundraising for various mental health charities throughout the month. To find out more, go to iConnections.io or click the link in our podcast description. But now, let's go to the episode. I think for the initial meetings, there is no question that this virtual model is here to stay. Hedge funds are usually the focus of negative news articles. And my experience in the industry has really been the complete opposite of that. Hello, and welcome to Intelligence Squared Business. I'm Linda Yu, economist and broadcaster. I'm delighted to be discussing Building Connections with Ron Biscardi is CEO and co-founder of iConnections, an online community for alternative investment professionals, which puts philanthropy at the center of what they do. Ron has over 25 years of experience in the alternative investment industry and has closed over 20 seed deals and deployed over $600 million in capital. He built the world's largest capital introduction conference, which takes place annually in Miami Beach. iConnections has hosted some of the largest events in the industry in partnership with AMA and 100 Women in Finance. And in April of 2020, Funds for Food, the first event organized by iConnections, raised $1.9 million for victims of the global pandemic. So it's lovely to have you here with us, Ron. Just tell me more about your background and why did you set up iConnections and just outline a bit more of what iConnections does. Sure. So my background is probably a bit odd for someone in in finance. I started out my career as an electrical engineering degree and did engineering for a few years. And that led me to becoming a technology recruiter. In that world, I built a company primarily through the dot-com era that was supplying talent to uh, companies that were booming in the dot-com era. You know, lots of, uh, lots of startups, as well as some of the big players uh, who were building out the internet and also building out our wireless networks at the time. And from there, I built relationships in the venture community 
which is how I sort of transitioned uh, into the world of finance. And then around the mid 2000s, I co-founded a business that was a boutique seeding firm where we seeded a wide variety of strategies, all very, I would say, niche strategies, things that were unlikely to ever grow into multi-billions, but, but we thought they had edge uh, in whatever market they were in. So we did things in real estate, we did some private equity, we did several hedge funds. So in the course of building out that business in an attempt to really in, improve and increase the visibility of our brand, I saw an opportunity to take over a conference company the conference was was pretty widely regarded, or, or sorry, well regarded, but the company that owned the conference was a hedge fund platform that had gotten into some trouble with its regulator and was very likely to go under. So I was able to do a deal fairly quickly with them to step into their shoes in the conference business. And then we took it and we rebranded it and we shifted it from its retail focus to a more institutional focus. And it was, uh, it just was a huge hit almost from day one. And in just a few years, it went from an event with probably about a thousand people to more than 2,500 people and was clearly the largest capital introduction conference in the alternatives world. Uh, and in the, in the course of building out that business, that's really what led me to doing iConnections. I, I left that firm in March of last year and started iConnections in April. And we've sort of reinventing the capital introduction process, if you will. And, and COVID, in a crazy way, created this opportunity for us to rethink how capital introduction works and how it's executed. So at iConnections, our primary focus is to build this community of allocators, managers, and service providers all of whom are involved in the fundraising process and the deployment of capital process. We've created an online platform that allows them to come together ad hoc if they choose to, but the platform is also built to support other events. So we'll be hosting, I believe it's six events for AMA this year, which we're really excited about. We did their global investor forum last year, which was a huge success. We'll also be hosting the Fund Women Cap Intro event for 100 Women in Finance. That was their largest event in history. Last year, we had 1,200 people participate, and we've had amazing success stories come out of that event in particular. And then, of course, as you mentioned, we did our, our Funds for Food charity fundraiser as our kickoff, really, to starting the business. And that was the biggest event of 2020. We did over 3,000 meetings in our platform Roughly another thousand outside of the platform brought together 1,400 people from around the world to participate. So it's it's been a really fun year. It's it's so much more than maybe one thinks when you think, oh, it's a you know it's a it's a connections kind of network platform. You know, you might think, oh wait, it's like a dating app. <laughs> right, know? I get that a lot. Yeah, you know, see, this is a funny story. CNBC came to we finally got CNBC to come to one of our events. And their coverage of it, the reporter was Leslie Picker, who I love. She's a star. She came, had a great experience, did an article on it. And then the web team created a short video, like 30 seconds long, equating us to like the bachelor of 
the private equity world or of the hedge fund world. And they had all of these overlaying images of like a dating show. And I called Leslie. I'm like, Leslie, this is horrible for me. Like, I don't want to be equated to The Bachelor. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it's hard yeah. to escape the speed dating uh, parallel. I want to get into a little bit about more about this gap in the market that you um, spotted. But for those who are not familiar with this terminology, what is an alternative investment industry? Could you also explain the difference between fund managers and allocators and why they should be brought together? Absolutely. So the alternative investment industry are, generally speaking, considered to be investments that the average person actually is not allowed to access, and that's by government regulation. After the crash in 29, when so many, uh, so many families lost their entire net worth, and these were families who didn't have much to begin with, but they got pulled into what were largely you know, scam stocks. The government passed regulations that said, if you're running an unregulated fund product, so one that doesn't have a full registration with the SEC, you are not allowed to take capital from anyone who has a net worth of under a million dollars. And they're actually tweaking these. There were some changes recently to them. But the idea is, if you have a high enough net worth, the government views you as sophisticated enough to be able to take the risk of making these investments in unregulated products. So when you think about a venture fund, a private equity fund, a hedge fund, for the most part, all of those things are unregulated fund products. They don't operate in the same way a mutual fund does, for example. So the average person can invest freely in a mutual fund, but the government heavily regulates mutual funds. So for that reason, they're comfortable with people making their own decisions to buy and sell mutual funds. Uh, so anything that's traded on an exchange is considered a mainstream product is kind of a good way to think about the dividing line. And things generally that are not traded on exchanges are considered alternative investment products. So to answer your second question, what's, what's an allocator and what is a manager? A manager is generally considered to be anyone who is running a fund. So there are managers run mutual funds in the mainstream market. Uh, and they run separately managed accounts in the mainstream market, and they run hedge funds, venture funds, private equity funds in the alternatives market because they can't, I, actually, I left this part out. Also, as part of the regulations that the government passed, the private fund universe is not allowed to openly market. So whereas you'll see all kinds of commercials on CNBC and Fox Business about various investment products and investment firms, you don't ever see a hedge fund advertised or a venture fund advertised. And there's a reason for that. They're not allowed to advertise. Um, there is a, a something that passed under the Obama administration that gives these private funds an avenue to, to do more general marketing, but most firms have not taken advantage of that. So in general, the getting together, getting these funds exposed to the investors who are attracted to these funds all has to happen in a completely different way than pretty much everything else in our economy, right? When you think about a consumer product firm, they do ad campaigns, they do email blasts, they do all, you know, social media ads. There's, you know, all of these other products and services are always coming at us, but in the alternative investment world, none of that's allowed. So a mechanism that evolved over time was conference events that only allow accredited 
investors or qualified purchasers is another higher level of, of accreditation that brings these two universes together. So on the one side, you have the fund managers. So these are the folks running the funds. And then you have what we call the allocators. And the allocators can be anyone from a wealthy individual all the way up to the investment team of a pension fund, a sovereign wealth fund, an endowment, a foundation. You know, if you think about those pools of capital, they're controlling trillions and trillions of dollars. And they have huge investment teams at some of these firms that are responsible for deploying that capital into all of these different categories. So an alternative investment conference or a capital introduction conference brings together the allocators who control those huge pools of capital with the managers who they need to run that capital for them to generate investment returns. Uh, so that's what that's was the nature of the event that I created, um, you know, six or seven years ago now, and that that we're running now at High Connections. I think you've actually begun to answer the uh, the question I was going to come to immediately, which is how you spotted this gap in the market. I should say there's a very similar division uh, in Europe as well and in the UK, where obviously alternative investments are not meant to be for retail investors. They have to have a kid, you know, basically, uh, um, if you're going to market it, you're going to have to do it really, really carefully and only to very specific institutional investors. That kind of setup is not uncommon here as well. Um, so you've described this gap in the market. So how did you decide to fill it with eye connections? <laughs> so, well, having run this large conference for many years, I knew the importance of this function because we were, we were running on average about 10,000 meetings over a two-day period at our flagship event every year. So this was a very well-orchestrated, very complex logistical undertaking, right, to put all these people into a hotel conference center, set up booths for everyone and have a software product that enabled everyone to schedule these meetings in advance so that when you show up, you would just, you know, run through your schedule. Um, and it was very intense. As you can imagine, 10,000 meetings uh, averaged, you know, the average count was about 20 per fund manager. And it's grueling, you know, to do 20 meetings in two days. These are generally half hour meetings. And then of course, there's all the, meeting people at lunch and cocktails and all that stuff. So it, it really was a very intense event. When COVID hit and all of that went away, you know, we couldn't get together in person. So you had the entire industry working from home. And the opportunity that I saw was to take the concept of the software that was used at an event like that and to extend it into a virtual world and make it available 24-7. But I have to say, I didn't leave my prior firm with this idea to, to really do this, uh, in all fairness. What, what happened first was the idea for the charity event. I was sitting at home watching you know, these horrible stories on the news about people waiting for hours and hours in car lines and seeing the, uh, you know, it, it just was so devastating to, to millions of people that they lost their jobs, they couldn't even feed their families anymore. And I thought, you know, we could do a capital introduction event and raise a lot of money if we did it virtually, because if we did it virtually, the cost of it would be in essence, zero, very close to zero. Uh, and of course, you know, I was thinking my partner, Chris Altamir and I would just create the event and do it for free. 
and donate all of the proceeds, you know, that came in from manager registrations. We would just donate all that to charity. So um, I put a call in to two friends of mine, Rahul Mudgal, who is the lead marketer for a fund called Parvis, super amazing human being and an incredibly successful fundraiser. Uh, and another guy named Ted Seides. Ted is a well-known podcaster and a, uh, and a great investor as well. And I called them both and I said, here's my idea. I want to do a cap intro event. I'm going to give 100% of the money to charity. I want to, I want to donate to food banks around the country, and which then led to donating to food banks around the world. And both Ted and Rahul instantly said, yes, we're in. And they really helped spread the word among the allocator community. And really, these are guys who are just so well liked and so well known throughout the industry, they were able to bring in the best names in the world. So through that event, we built the software that was necessary to deliver on that initiative. We had, uh, you know, 3000 meetings, as I said, take place in our system. And to orchestrate all of that required us to build what became the foundation of iConnections. So technically we formed a company and all that stuff, but in reality, it was the charity event and the drive to do the charity event that kind of gave us the basis for it. And in the charity event, we learned a ton about what gap needed to be filled, you know, so fast forward a year here and, you know, we've been supplying the system now to several hundred fund managers. We have, I think we're approaching 2000 allocators uh, registered in the system. And people have been using it in all kinds of different ways. We've used it to support several of the events that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and we've also created what we call a coffee chat function where people just can create a reason to get together. It can be just networking and you can have 10 or 20 people just having kind of a networking session, to talk about whatever, or a lot of fund managers are using it to talk about their strategy or their view of the world or their view of the particular niche that they play in and using it as a way to provide some education to allocators who maybe are coming up to speed on what they do or just want to learn more about the space. So what we've tried to do is just give the alternative investment world an alternative to face-to-face -face meetings. You know, all the breakfast, dinners, lunches, they all went away. And we've tried to really backfill by way of the iConnections platform. Face-to-face -face interactions have certainly, they have certainly been changed by the pandemic. Do you think that um, this alternative for the alternative investment industry will continue? I do. I think what we've discovered uh, is that this is so easy. It is so much more efficient. People are getting to spend more time with their families. They're spending much less money. I think the because an alternative investment is a very different commitment than going into a mainstream product like a mutual fund where you buy and sell it on an exchange in an alternative investment you're generally signing a contract that ties up the capital for sometimes as long as a decade so those kinds of commitments and then these are tens of millions of dollars you know in, in our system we've had i think we're approaching billion dollars has been allocated by way of meetings that took place in our system over the last year. What we've discovered is it's so inexpensive and fast to do meetings by way of video. With a system like ours, people can discover each other, confirm a meeting, and then jump right into a video conference and not have to get on a plane, not have to you know spend hours and hours or days, weeks, whatever, away from their families. And I think people like this so much better. I know the allocators like it much better because 
they're pulled in so many different directions. It just makes their lives much more efficient. And again, people are just saving so much money. I think for the initial meetings, there is no question that this virtual model is here to stay. I think when you get deeper into the diligence process, uh, that's where a face-to-face meeting is probably always going to be the next logical step. I think before you allocate $10 million to a fund manager, it helps to be in a room, to go to dinner, to spend some time, to get to know each other. But for those initial introduction meetings, this is clearly here to stay. And for all of the events that we're supporting moving forward, some are already announced, like uh, we're supporting Anthony Scaramucci's next SALT conference in September of this year. And that event will be at the Jacob Javits Center. That'll be a physical event. So we'll provide the software to pull everyone together into that event, but we'll also make it possible for people who can't attend in person to do their meetings virtually. So I think you're going to see a combination of physical events because there's also a huge pent up demand of people wanting to get back into a physical meeting (laughs) with their peers and to get back to conferences. So I I think you're going to see a huge boom in the conference space as soon as things really open up. But, uh, but it's going to be, it it will definitely be a mix of virtual and physical. I think moving forward, Uh, just to add one quick story, the very first meeting that took place in the funds for food event last year was the Kansas State University Endowment meeting a fund in Hong Kong. And I, I kicked off that first meeting just as a, a way to start the event and to say thank you to everyone on the call for, for supporting uh, the event. And as I hung up, I thought to myself, there is no way this meeting would have ever happened if it wasn't for a, a virtual platform. Because you know the distance between these organizations, Kansas State is not... It's not a university that would normally be in the you know New York circles or the Silicon Valley circles. So unless they happen to bump into each other at a conference, it, it was probably a very unlikely meeting, you know, between these two parties. So that has it, it has done so many things that are great for both the allocators and the managers. It's it's lowered the bar dramatically to meeting people that are a fit for you, whether you're on, you know, on on either side of the table. So, and for minority and diversity uh, and, you know, these inclusion initiatives, it's been game changing. I mean, we have one, uh, one female fund manager who has gone from, I believe it was 400 million to 2.4 billion in under a year, all through these virtual events. And the bar to go to a conference is very high. You know, it's expensive to attend. The registrations are expensive. The flights, the meals, the hotels, you know, these are not generally held at at inexpensive hotels. So, you know, to attend an event, I would say is on average probably $20,000. That's a big number for an up and coming manager. And, you know, the opportunity now to get on the radar screen of these huge allocators without having to incur that expense is that's really game changing. I, I think this is going to be really one of the best things that's happened to the whole diversity category of fund managers. I was about to ask you what um, you thought uh, the pandemic has done to making deals in this over the past year, but I think I, I have a sense of the answer. <laughs> I, it's it's definitely in that category for sure. I think it's been a big, big help. 
Before I get to sort of the philanthropy, which obviously is,、um, you know, how you started iConnections, I've just got to ask you about Clubhouse. So, do you do you use Clubhouse, and what do you think of it as a connection tool? We we have used Clubhouse, and I think Clubhouse is really interesting. It, it is. I view it as a way to just make additional connections, and to at least for us, it's a way to provide some education back to a broader community. You know, the the thing you have to remember about with Clubhouse is that at least for the most part, everyone who's listening is 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 unscreened, right? When you come to one of our Cap Intro events, whether physical or virtual, everyone on the allocator side is screened so that we're in compliance with the regulations. Well, that doesn't exist in Clubhouse.、Uh, in Clubhouse, it can be you know anyone, plenty of, and I, I think it is often. A ton of retail investors are listening in, so I think it's been really useful to the retail community in particular because they're getting an inside look into what happens in a venture fund. Like one one of my favorite Clubhouse colleagues is is a guy who's been in the hedge or yeah hedge fund industry for maybe six years, seven years. He's a brilliant guy, and he runs a room, and he just says, "You know, I work at a hedge fund. Ask me anything." And those rooms have gone for two and three hours with people asking a lot of basic questions for someone who's been in this for a long time, but really super useful questions to just educating everyone who's in that room on how a hedge fund works and how they make decisions and how investments are made. And so I I think it's been a really interesting. It's been interesting to watch its growth and how、uh, how people have fallen in love with the, the basic audio format. So yeah, I'm I'm a total fan. I、uh, I've done a few rooms with、uh, Ted and Rahul, and、uh, you know we'll we'll continue to use it. And you know it's great for us in that it helps spread the word about our platform and our our big event coming up in January next year. You've placed philanthropy really quite centrally. We've discussed、um, how you started, the kinds of、um, events that you're planning, not just at funds for food, but obviously you've also got funds for mines, and you've got just a number of initiatives. Now, this might surprise some people、um, that you've placed it、uh, so centrally in iConnections' mission. So, why have you done so, and、um, what reaction have you gotten from that?、Uh, so, again, this is something where I wish I could say it was intentional, but it really wasn't. It just after starting the business on the back of funds for food, it just felt like the right thing to do. You know, it, it. I was really proud to be at the center of bringing the industry together. You know, our industry, as you know, doesn't generally get the best headlines. You know, anytime there's something bad happening in the economy, I feel like you know, hedge funds in particular are usually the focus of negative news articles and. My experience in the industry has really been the complete opposite of that. I have met a ton of great people, just like Ted and Rahul, who are incredibly charitable, are always thinking about other people, and they're just they're just good people. And I I think I've met a lot of people like that in this industry, people who feel a responsibility to the world, and they feel incredibly lucky and fortunate. Right? Most people in finance are probably making. A very good living. Some are making an amazing living, and for the most part, the people I've met feel really fortunate to be in that spot. So, what we saw happen in Funds for Food was an an opportunity for the industry to come together and do some good for the world 
by way of conducting business with each other. I mean, that in essence is what the event did. And what, what we decided at the end of Funds for Food was that this would always be at the core of who iConnections is as a company. We would always have a philanthropic leaning in whatever we do. Now, we are absolutely capitalists. We, we believe in uh, generating profits for the business, but we can do those things, do them well, and we can also do a lot of good for the world. And I feel great about that. My partner feels great about that and uh, we'll continue to support it. We, we, in addition to the Funds for Minds event, which is running for the month of May, which is in essence the same as the same kind of event we ran with funds for food last year, except this year, the charity focus will be mental health because so many people have struggled with mental health issues through the pandemic. And, and obviously people being in isolation for a year has really taken a toll. But in addition to that, we've created something called our eye care program. And what that program allows is for allocators who participate in our system throughout the year. So this isn't just the charity events, but it's just coming into the system and participating in it throughout the year will allow allocators to earn points. And at the end of the year, we'll total up all the points from all the allocators who've participated and we'll allow them to donate a percentage of our revenue, their pro rata in essence, to an approved charity. And you know, we're creating in essence an index of charities that uh, that will be approved for that program to try to touch kind of all the major philanthropic areas that, that people are focused on. So that's a program that we're really just beginning to get rolling. And uh, I'm, I'm super excited about that one because that kind of embeds philanthropy into literally everything we do every day at iConnections. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that one. Do you think there's a limit to what philanthropy uh, can achieve through um, the funds world or through the investment world? I mean, for sure. I, I think philanthropy is great to fill in the spots that capitalism has not for whatever reason. Some people might say gaps are created because of regulations or government rules or whatever, but however it's created doesn't matter as much as, as the fact that there are these spots in our economy where philanthropy steps in and can really make a huge impact. But I think it's, it's hard to argue with the success of capitalism. Capitalism has taken humanity from the majority of humanity living in, in severe poverty to massive wealth. And I think wherever possible, it is, it is still always better to try and apply uh, a capitalist solution to things because I think it's, it's, it's clearly proven to be uh, the most sustainable solution and the best for humanity. But it's not perfect. And, and in the spots uh, where it doesn't work as well, I think philanthropy is, is an absolute must. And I think, you know, when you look at America, you know, I feel like, these days too people are so negative but america is an unbelievable unbelievably generous country you know when you look at so many of the billionaires in our country who have pledged to give billions and billions of dollars away over their lifetime or after they they pass away i think it's just amazing what a lot of those foundations have done you know the gates foundation uh in particular is one that i, I really really admire I want to finish off with a couple of pieces of advice that you might uh, be able to offer to our listeners. So the first one is, 
Lots of businesses use events to bring people together. Do you have any advice for them on things they should do, or more importantly, perhaps avoid when planning <laughs> business events? So the experience I had was, I mean, I have, I'll say, and I'll say this kindly, I have kind of a high maintenance customer base. <laughs> you know, these these are these are very busy people, and uh, something that worked really well for us was to always try to deliver white glove treatment. We, throughout, you know, throughout the years as we built out that event, we always looked for ways to make it more efficient. And I'll, I'll actually give you an example. The event, the conference center where this event takes place, is a hundred thousand square feet. It's enormous. It takes a lot of time to walk from one end of it to the other. We learned after the first year, this is exhausting. You know, people are, are walking miles probably over the course of doing their, their 20 or 30 meetings in two days. So we created an algorithm to uh, schedule their meetings and to cluster them into pockets of the hotel. So they could do, you know, a set of meetings on the east side and then a set of meetings on the west side and et cetera. So thinking about how to make your client's experience as seamless as possible, eliminating as many of the little things that can kind of drive people crazy, that worked really, really well for us. We got really high marks from clients by doing things like that. And people would then, of course, spread the word and talk about what a great experience they had. So look for the little things that you can do to make your client's life easier and how they experience your event. And I think that'll pay real dividends. Um, yeah, I was just thinking walking around in heels um, over that distance. <laughs> <laughs> it's not wow. easy. It is not easy. <laughs> and then finally, what advice would you give to people listening who are interested in building connections in their own industries, but don't really know um, where to start? Uh, so this is, uh, this is one that people really struggle with. I struggled with it tremendously because as an engineer, I was trained to be mathematical and logical. And I really, early in my career, I really didn't understand the importance of relationships. But I can tell you, no one gets, no one achieves, for the most part, great success in their lives completely by themselves, right? You, you have to have, you have to have help. And the only way to get help is to build out your network and take it seriously and spend real time on it. So I think the best example of this is from my days in the seating business, the managers who we seated that did the best were the ones who took the fundraising process incredibly seriously. They took it just as seriously as they did the investment process. Now, that's not common. In general, emerging managers, you'll find they're, they're obsessed with the investment side of the business, as they should be, because that is what people are buying. But if you don't place the same amount of weight on the marketing of the, of the fund and building relationships with allocators and, and getting just as good at that as you are at the investing side, it's really hard to build out a fund business from scratch if you're not good on both sides, you know, in, in both of those areas. So my advice would be treat it the same way you would treat whatever your core skill is. And the way you've gone to school to develop that skill, you need to do the same thing when it comes to building relationships. Put the time and effort in before you meet someone to read up on them, 
learn about their background, learn what their interests are. I mean, now you have, you know, when I started, you had no information, basically, you know, you had to call around and find people that, that knew whoever you were meeting. Now you have the internet at your disposal and it can tell you so much about people. So, um, putting in the time to really understand who you're meeting with. And also I can't stress this one enough, pay it forward. The value I've gotten throughout my career by just doing favors for people without any expectation of anything in return, the, the payback I've gotten, it's multiples of the favors that I did. So thinking along those lines, how do I help people in whatever they're doing? And in the course of that, you know, if you're playing the long game, as they say, uh, over the course of that, you'll do incredibly well in life in general and, and for sure in your career because, you know, it's, it's important to have a network pretty much no matter what you do. If, if, you're, if you're trying to build something substantial for yourself, you just have to have a good network, so... That's my advice. I was just thinking, you know, for an engineer <laughs> to begin to <laughs> to think about um, the uh, the social network, and um, that must have been a fascinating switch for you. And clearly, you know, you've done um, fascinating things with it. And thank you very much, uh, Ron Viscardi, CEO and co-founder of iConnections, for a terrific conversation. And it's um, been lovely to hear about not just the the hybrid world we should expect for alternative investment, which I suspect we'll see in other industries as well, but also the focus on philanthropy. So thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. I'm Linda Yu, and you've been listening to Intelligence Squared Business.